Five years ago, this was a vast checkerboard of potato farms on New York's Long Island. Today, a community of 60,000 persons living in 15,000 homes, all built by one firm. This is Levittown, one of the most remarkable housing developments ever conceived. You're listening to Episode 8 of Built Blocks, the podcast about cities, architecture, the built environment, and everything in between. That was a clip about Leventown, the first huge suburb built in the U.S. that basically started the housing boom. For many, the suburbs are an easy target, for good reason. Many of the homes are ugly and out of scale. They promote sprawl and auto-dependence, thereby increasing obesity. They use tons of energy and are a huge drain on a city's infrastructure. They wipe out farmland, and to many, they're just boring. I love the Back to the City movement. I love that cities are thriving, re-emerging, and have found new life, coming back from the abandonment following the decades after World War II, when the burbs were created. However, with urbanists declaring the suburbs as dead, where are many young families living these days? That's right, the suburbs. One report will say DOA, while other research will say thriving. So do the suburbs really ever go away? Are they better? Can they be fixed? And what really is considered a suburb? An article by writer Amanda Colson Hurley caught my attention, revealing that a famous architect was building a new project in a Northern California suburb. The project? A shopping mall, of all things. Amanda has written for Architect Magazine, Architectural Record, The Atlantic, Washington City Paper, among many others, and has written numerous articles on the challenges of living in the suburbs and where the suburbs are headed. In this episode, we talk defining the suburbs, how suburbs can reinvent themselves, and city dwellers versus the burb dweller. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. So today we're talking about the suburbs or the burbs. And um, I was mentioning to you before we hopped on, hopped on the mic that um, um, I, um, you know, grew up in the burbs, um, have lived in um, cities, San Diego, San Francisco, Boston, and now I'm I'm in a little burb just outside of Portland, Oregon. So I'm I'm back where I started from, and I'm seeing some really good things about it, and some really you know not so great things about about living in the burbs. Um, but 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 one question I wanted to throw at you to start out was start out with is um, you know how are the suburbs being defined today? Because it seems to me there's there's different levels of 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 burbism. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with you that um, you know the term suburb uh, is is so broad. You know, I mean, or what uh, you know, if you just take suburb to mean uh, you know a settled area on the outskirts of uh, you know a, a proper a city, you know, a city proper, um, you know, it could mean almost anything. It could mean. Uh, you know, everything from uh, really large lot kind of uh, very scattery sprawl, you know, with uh, large lots and big, big houses to uh, pretty dense, um, sometimes even, you know, fabric that's denser than the city it abuts. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know there are people who think that actually, you know, suburb is, is not even a useful definition anymore. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of all for embracing the term suburb as, um, you know, not something to be ashamed of for those of us, uh, who live in, 
uh, as I do, a, a pretty dense and diverse and uh, kind of urban type of suburb. I, you know, I don't mind calling it a suburb. Um, it's it's uh, if people have a sort of 1950s leave it to beaver, white picket fence, uh, a white population view of suburbs that, you know, I think that they're the ones who kind of need to get with the program and uh, realize that suburbia has changed a whole lot since then. So I'm not going to be ashamed of being a suburbanite (laughs) on their account. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, where, where, where we live, um, it's, it's, it's definitely the burbs, but, um, you know, we, we just had light rail come in. We have a multi-use bike pedestrian path that connects to a larger one throughout Portland. So I feel like, um, in our neighborhood is actually closer to some of the neighborhoods in Portland than some of the neighborhoods in Portland are. And and yet we're still called birds. Yeah. And and yet you're still called a suburb. And it's interesting. Um, my, my neighborhood, uh, I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right, uh, Really, right on the DC line. Um, my house is about a mile and a half from from Washington DC. Um, and the interesting thing about it is the the downtown of Silver Spring is actually a lot more dense and has much taller, bigger buildings than the neighborhood of uh, DC. That's just right across the street, literally across the street. Um, but that's uh, a, a much more low rise single family home. Uh, kind of suburban neighborhood that's within the city limits um, just because of zoning. So so it's pretty funny that, um, you know, to get to the suburb in that part of uh, Washington, you have to cross the street over, um, you know, to where the, the really big buildings and mixed uses are. <laughs> and then you're in the suburb, uh, you know, the sleepy neighborhood is in the city. So, yeah, I mean, the, the categories, I think, increasingly you know, the, the old categories don't, don't really uh, make a lot of sense, I think. But, um, and, and my, you know, my suburb like yours, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's, it's majority minority. I, I don't know if that's the case actually where you are, but um, it's a majority minority suburb. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a lot of languages spoken here. Um, Spanish, Amharic was a very large Ethiopian and Eritrean population. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have light rail coming in, uh, they're uh, very busy with buses. Um, there's a, uh, Washington Metro stop, uh, in the downtown of the suburb as well. So, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely, definitely bustling and, um, and, and busy and not, not sleepy or, uh, you know, monocultural at all. Well, I, I was in Silver Spring a couple of years ago um, for for work, and I ended up. Well, they we were in the, we were in a hotel in this area, which seemed, um, you know, very cosmopolitan, very downtowny to me. It was it looked it looked pretty new. So there was I remember there was a uh, um, a hotel, a couple of restaurants. There was this beautiful. Um, I'm not even sure what you call it, like a civic area park. It looked like a stage. Um, and it, and it looked all new and I remember the streets were closed off. I remember walking up and down that thinking, oh, okay, this is how, you know, this is how you can make, make it walkable, but make it so you're not, you know, so it gives you kind of a sense that you're, um, you know, in an urban setting, but you know, you can still go back to your single family home if you, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, it sounds like you were right around the Silver Spring Civic Center, which was, um, built several years ago. They had a design competition and it was uh, built by, 
uh, Machado Silvetti, which is an architecture firm in Boston that's pretty well known. Um, and I think they just did a great, great job with it. Um, I guess, you know, my one complaint would be that some of the other buildings, uh, you know, public and, and also private buildings, uh, larger buildings in Silver Spring don't always rise to that standard. Um, I think that, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, either I think sometimes maybe suburban developers or planners maybe assume that they're not going to get, you know, um, the top flight, you know, design firms interested or, you know, maybe the top flight design firms don't, uh, you know, don't uh, respond to the RFPs or, you know, enter the design competition. So, um, you know, that's one thing I'd like to see in Silver Spring in the future would be, and in other um the suburbs that are kind of urbanizing and changing would be um, more ambitious and kind of experimental architecture. Um, I think the Silver Spring Civic Center uh, is a great like starting point for that and hope to see a little more of it. One of the articles um, that you wrote, um, it was the, um, the San Ramon project with the um, um, famous architect, um, you know, coming out to San Ramon and, 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 and building something there. And I, you know, that, that kind of led me down a rabbit hole where, um, I'm beginning to think, you know, a lot of architects and designers, I don't want to say they, they shun the burbs or, you know, they don't want to build there because it's boring or they can't get their awesome projects made. But you think, um, you know, more of these designers, I think, I, to me, I think it's, it's a open slate, you know, Hey, you know, we're not, you know, it's, 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 we're not in the, you know, in the middle of the city. Um, here's a chance to maybe actually have you do something interesting to do a lot of, architects shun these RFPs because they see the address? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't want to impute that to, you know, to every architect uh, groundlessly. I, I, you know, I did, <laughs> it's interesting though, talking to one uh, urban planner um, that uh, I, I met mentioned that, you know, sometimes when we, uh, you know, are, are soliciting ideas, uh, you know, we'll get, uh a concept or we'll be talking to a, a pretty well-known and, and, and pretty kind of first-class design firm. And, uh, you know, the ideas they're putting forward aren't, aren't that great. And you can tell that they sort of put their B team on it and didn't spend a lot of time. I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, that's just one, that's one urban planner, you know, talking off the cuff. So I don't know how representative that is. I mean, I do think though, that just within the disciplines of, of architecture and maybe less so urban design, urban planning, you know, there is, uh, you know, a, a pretty longstanding um, bias toward building in the city rather than in the suburbs. And, uh, you know, I think just less of a, an interest or, you know, a less strong interest in remaking suburban spaces, you know, and, and uh, 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 thinking creatively about um, the suburbs as, uh, as public spaces. Um, uh, yeah, I was actually just reading a, a great book published, I think in the, in the nineties by, um, uh, gosh, what's, what's his name? Um, it's called edge city, uh, uh Joel Garreau. Uh, he's a, a, a journalist, uh, who wrote for the Washington post for a long time. And he was writing about the phenomenon of these, he coined them edge cities, uh, like Tyson's corner, of Virginia being one, I think, the woodlands near Houston is another, but these sort of, um, uh, you know, 1980s and 90s uh, uh, nodes of a quite, you know, quite busy and sometimes quite dense uh, clusters of, you know, offices and hotels and shopping um, that kind of sprouted up often near uh, near highway interchanges and 
uh, often close to airports, um, you know, uh, during that period in time. Um, and uh, he actually mentions this phenomenon as well about, you know, talking to architects about how you just can't, you know, you just can't interest people in the suburbs. And, you know, that, that book was published at least two decades ago. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty, pretty longstanding, uh, uh, bias, but, but I mean, that said, you know, there's some interesting work, um, going on. And I think new urbanism is starting to revive some interest in, in, you know, what you can do with, uh, suburbs, certainly, um, uh, 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 <laughs> I'm uh, losing everybody's name. Ellen Dunham Jones and June Williamson wrote a book called Retrofitting Suburbia uh, several years ago um, that I, I think was, um, you know, got a lot of attention and, and started to get more people thinking about the possibilities. Um, and then, you know, there have been some really good projects too um, in, I think it's McAllen, Texas. Um, some designers turned an old Walmart into uh, the city's public library, and they did just a great job with it. And I guess that's in a, a city, but in a city that's a very suburban in form. And that's the type of project that you could see, you know, there's vacant or soon to be vacant Kmarts and Walmarts, uh, you know, and strip malls all over American suburbs. And, um, you know, those, those buildings, they're just kind of husks, but, but because they're big empty boxes, you can, um, you know, they're just, so many possibilities with how you could reuse them um, and not necessarily at at great cost either. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of um, great potential and, you know, some of the most interesting kind of uh, recreations or reanimations, you know, are not even um, led by architects. I mean, I I know there was a mall, uh, another mall in in Texas in a predominantly uh, Hispanic area that is now just sort of uh, that was ailing and that reinvented itself as, you know, really just a, a Latin, a Latin mall. And almost all of the businesses are, um, are you know, are geared toward uh, Mexican-Americans and, you know, it's, and it's thriving. They have mariachi bands in the food court or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, that's worked very well. And I, I think that um, probably more malls are going to, um, uh, you know, I, I don't actually believe the uh, all the hype about malls dying, or I mean, I, I I believe it's it's true to a certain extent that a lot, you know, a fair number of malls are struggling, but um, a fair number also aren't. Uh, some of them are doing quite well, and others are finding these, uh, you know, different formulas that, you know, instead of having a Macy's, they have a Whole Foods or um, they have a, you know, a high-end movie theater or something, and um, it, it does seem to be successful in, in a, you know, a good number of cases if they, you know, just, just change their formula or, you know, and find a new audience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got a really good point about, you know, suburbs reinventing and kind of readjusting to current market forces or just making themselves less sucky, <laughs> you know, and, and, and here, and, and, and here where I live, um, there is a local group, just, they're just, they're just, they're citizens and this might be get a little wonky, but there is this, we're very close to a, um, 
um, it, it's a highway, but it's one of those highways where it's got two lanes on each side and it goes right through the middle of town and it goes all the way into Portland. And it's got business on, businesses on both sides of it. So people go anywhere from like 35 to 55 on this thing. And it's, it's just, it's just, it's horrible. It's you, it's dangerous. People are always dying, crossing it. It's just a, it's a bad spot. Um, so, so where the new light rail station came in, there is some, um, really some good chance for some redevelopment. And there's a huge, it's a beautiful mid-century modern. Elks building, which, you know, I don't, they're, they're, you know, their members are dying. Um, it might be sold off. Um, I mean, the, 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 the plan, not the planners, but the citizens group, they don't want to necessarily tear it down, but they want to be prepared. So when it does get teared down, we have a say in what's, what goes in there. Um, we're an, un, we're an unincorporated area. So, um, you know, the, the plan would be, you know, not just put up, you know, section eight housing or whatever. We would be, there would be something like bottom retail, smaller pods, um, you know, not just some, you know, thing that's plopped down. That's not community, community driven. And I think a lot of these, you know, from my, from what I've read in the past couple of years, it's a lot of the stuff's been citizen driven and, and, you know, and then getting the planners on board. I mean, are you seeing a lot of that when you're, um, you know, writing a lot, a lot of citizen, citizenry involvement? Um, you know, maybe that's an area where the Pacific Northwest is <laughs> perhaps a little ahead of uh, of my region. I don't know. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a little bit of that, I guess I would say. I mean, I know, for instance, that um, like uh, there's a big suburban retrofit project uh, in Rockville, Maryland, not too far from me, um, called uh, well, called White Flint, and it was interesting that um, there's actually a, a, a citizens group. Um, called, I think, Friends of White Flint, uh, that was sort of a, a yes in my backyard <laughs> type of group that, um, you know, was encouraging citizens to become involved to make the, um, to make this project, which is, which is huge and, and, uh, and, and quite dense, you know, to make it, uh, as good as it could be rather than the sort of not in typical, not in my backyard. Oh, we don't want this coming in here. There's going to be traffic. There's going to be too many people and so on. Um, but I, I have to say that where I am, I mean, there's still, you know, a, a huge amount of that. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of citizen, um, rallying to, uh, you know, um, to say improve a certain site with mixed use, uh, mixed use development or so on. That, that might be also because the County where I live, Montgomery County, uh, is, is really one of the most progressive counties in the country when it comes to development, uh, you know, inclusionary zoning, um, these types of issues, it's sort of always been ahead of the curve. So that might just be that the pattern here. Um, and in D.C. as well, I think, is usually the planners being, you know, kind of pushing the envelope and then the community group pushing back against them, saying, no, we don't we don't want that. So that tends that tends to be the pattern around here. But, you know, I'm hopeful that um, I'm hopeful that maybe that could change. And I've certainly gone to community meetings where there's a lot of opposition, but there are, you know, increasingly, especially younger people standing up and saying, you know, uh, I want this to come here. I think it'll improve my neighborhood. And, you know, I, I don't mind more people coming into the neighborhood. I think it would be good to have more people in the neighborhood, you know, and I think it would get, be good to have, say, apartments because, you know, not everybody can afford to live in a single family home right outside, you know, 
an expensive and, and, uh, you know, populous city. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, we'll be seeing more of in, in future years. And I think the growth of the, as they call it, the kind of YIMBY movement in, uh, in a number of cities now, you know, hopefully that'll spread to, um, to inner suburbs as well. And we were talking about this earlier. I mean, I, we both, I think agree that we, you know, I, I, I love cities. I love the trend of, you know, well, not the trend, but, you know, cities being evacuated after the war, after World War II, and then, you know, the whole cycle, then they, then they, you know, died and now they're back and now they're thriving, you know, but what I'm reading a lot of is that some of, you know, the cities are great to live in and, but, but they're not, they're not affordable or it's just become like a playground for, you know, like rich, rich, rich white kids. I mean, is, is that, I mean, I know that's kind of a, <laughs> a big umbrella of a question, but I mean, is there, do you, do you think young? No, I, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I mean, I, when it comes to Washington, I, uh, DC, I agree with that assessment. I mean, that is absolutely what has happened here. And I know that's not the case for a lot of cities, especially cities that are not on the coast um, or, you know, cities that are not, uh, you know, DC, San Francisco, New York, uh, LA, but, but it definitely in, in a number of cities in DC, perhaps most of all, uh, that has really happened. I mean, if you look at the, uh, statistics or, you know, charts of, uh, you know, demographic change, uh, change in household income just over the last 15 years, um, you know, it's shocking. I mean, it really, and it's been, a great boon for the city, which had real problems in the nineties. I mean, I remember I, I grew up, uh, in a DC suburb. I went to school in the city and I remember friends who lived in the city, you know, weeks where, you know, their garbage wasn't collected week after week because, you know, the kind of city government was in disarray, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, that was when, uh, there were more than 300 murders a year. Uh, and that was, you know, when the population had bottomed, bottomed out at, I think around half a million or maybe even less. Um, and you know, the population has grown and grown and, uh, since 2000 in DC and the people who are moving to DC are young, uh, well-educated professionals who are earning a lot of money. Um, they're working for, uh, you know, government contractors or for the government or for law firms, um, uh, you know, or for nonprofits if they're, you know, they're on the lower end of the income distribution, I guess, for that group. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really, uh, it's really changed the city a lot. And, you know, conversely, um, you know, people have been priced out. I mean, there's, there's numbers showing that, you know, it used to be, there used to be however many thousand uh, apartments you could rent for less than eight or $900 a month. And that pool of housing is shrinking rapidly. So, um, yeah, it's really, um, you know, it, it, I, there's very little housing for uh, the middle class as well now in, in Washington. It's um, just increasingly hard for people to afford to live there on you know, what you'd call a middle-class uh, income. So I, I I absolutely think that's a fair characterization of uh, D.C. And you do see that a lot of the kind of urban events and amenities now are also uh, designed with that, uh, you know, that crowd of people in mind, uh, you know, people who are kind of able-bodied uh, and, you uh, you know, in their twenties and thirties. So you have, uh, 
I don't know, outdoor beer gardens with rock climbing walls, things like that. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But, you know, you can tell that those type of things are not, they're, first of all, they're not aimed at real little kids. Uh, they're, you know, they're aimed at people who are, you know, above 21, but also uh, able-bodied and, you know, definitely not 65 <laughs> or, you know, or 75, right? So, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's a real issue, especially in, you know, D.C. is a pretty small city as well. So, you know, once every neighborhood has been gentrified and we're kind of almost at that point now, um, you know, there's sort of nowhere left for, uh, you know, to, to, to fit people that have been, who've been pushed out. And, um, you know, I definitely think that, um, we are seeing a sort of here, we're seeing a little bit of this great inversion. I think, uh, a journalist wrote a book, uh, by that title a few years ago about how, you know, with the move back to the cities, uh, there's going to be this flip where instead of, struggling cities surrounded by, you know, wealthy suburbs, uh, that's going to reverse at least to a certain extent. And I, I think we're seeing that a little bit. I mean, in my County, uh, you know, poverty is definitely on the rise and the number of kids on school lunches is, uh, going up and up. Um, a lot of immigrants to this area don't settle in the city first. They just go straight to the suburbs because housing's more affordable. Um, the public schools are, are better, um, although the public schools are, you know, just as any school system, whether, you know, they're struggling to absorb a much higher number of, uh, of, uh, English as a second language learners, um, you know, uh, you know, kids coming, uh, adjusting from other countries and, and, uh, instances like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a big social shift underway, I would say. Um, and, uh, in terms of how to, you know, how we grapple with that. I mean, I think honestly, the first step is recognizing it because I think a lot of people still talk and act like, like the cities, you know, the inner city is a bad place. Well, there's no inner city really <laughs> that's, you know, there's nowhere in inner DC left that really fits any type of description of, you know, a crime plagued ghetto. Um, uh, you know, and, and when you hear Donald Trump talk about, you know, the city is being so bad and we really need to save them. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, there must be places that, you know, inner cities and in other parts of the country that are struggling. And I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to act like that's, that's not the case, but certainly in, in DC um, and in, in uh, some other big cities, New York, you know, that's just, uh, that's increasingly not true. And, uh, you know, he also, uh, characterizes the African-American community as being an, an inner city uh, population. And that's also just completely not true anymore. I mean, most African-Americans do not, do not live in cities. Uh, you know, uh, most of them, I think, live in suburbs or, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's just, um, you know, I think that our rhetoric and our, I, you know, our categories need to adjust to reality and that that'll be the best first step. That's, that's, that's a great way to end this podcast. <laughs> I love that. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for, for joining me. This has been awesome. I, I really appreciate the time. Thanks, John. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Built Blocks. If you want to read more of Amanda's work, visit amandakhurley.com. And be sure to subscribe to Built Blocks by visiting builtblocks.com. Thanks for listening.